once the New Testament was completed, brothers and sisters, there was no more need for apostles or prophets. God has provided his complete revelation in a book, the book you hold in your hand. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. According to Scripture, are their spiritual gifts considered to be temporary, in the sense they're given for a set amount of time only? And are their gifts considered timeless for all biblical history, existing even for believers today and beyond? Do you know which gift the Holy Spirit has given you? Well, hello again. I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part four of a series called Gifted to Serve. Consider the implications of the completed scripture. If you own a Bible and hold in your hand the completed, inspired Word of God that came through revelation, given throughout the Old Testament and New Testament alike, supernatural, miraculous events, as recorded in both Old and New, served as attestations to the power and truthfulness of God's Word, personified in the living Word Himself, Jesus Christ. You don't need the miraculous gifts today because you hold the inspired and completed Word of God in your hand. Yet the question remains, do you treat the inspired Word of God in your hand with the proper respect and authority it deserves? Let's join our teacher for more right now on The Word Unleashed. I want you to turn back with me to Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses tells God's people, remember there's no question but what Moses was God's prophet. He went up on the mountain for 80 days and and God's presence was there. There was an earthquake, there was God's voice spoke from the cloud. So there was no question but what Moses spoke for God. He was God's prophet. But Moses tells us in the book of Deuteronomy that there would be prophets who would follow him. And he gives here three criteria for evaluating whether those prophets who came after him were true prophets or false prophets. Let me give you these three criteria so you understand. Here's how you discern a true prophet from a false prophet. The first one is found in Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, and here's the criterion. A true prophet's predictions must always come true without exception. A true prophet's predictions must always come true. Look at Deuteronomy 18, verses 21 and 22. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How do we we look at two men and say one of them is a false prophet and the other is a true prophet? Verse 22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So here's the first test of a true prophet. Everything he says comes true. He's not, he doesn't have a batting average of 50%. Or as some of the charismatic prophets even are willing to admit, he doesn't have a batting average of 20%. He bats 100%. That's a true prophet. And if, it's, if, he, if anything he says doesn't come true, then what is he? He's a false prophet. Or 
At the very best, he is a true prophet speaking falsely at that moment. There's a second criteria in Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 to 5, and I'm going to read it for you in a minute, but I just want you to see the first couple of verses say that a prophet may perform a sign or a wonder, one that comes true. And here we're reminded of a second criterion for a true prophet. If God chooses to authenticate a true prophet, he might choose to empower him to work miracles, just as he's done with Moses. You remember back in chapter 4 of Exodus, Moses has said, how will they know that, I, that you sent me, God? And God says, I'm going to give you the capacity to work miracles. And God often did that with his prophets, those who spoke for him. And here we're reminded that God might choose to do that. That's criterion number two. If God wants to authenticate them, he'll give them the capacity to work miracles. Criterion number three is right here in the same passage, Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 5. And here it is. The true prophet's message will always completely agree with previous revelation. The true prophet's message will always completely agree with previous revelation. It had to be compared to the Scripture that you already had to see if it matched. If it didn't, it was false prophecy. Look at Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you. In other words, he says, here's what I'm speaking, and I'm going to confirm to you that I'm representing God by working a miracle, and he works a miracle. But what he said was, verse 2, let us go after other gods whom you've not known and let us serve them. Verse 3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Instead, verse 4, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. How? By listening to his word that you already have, you shall keep his commandments, you shall listen to his voice, you shall serve him and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt, redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from among you. Do you hear what Moses is saying? He's saying, listen, if a guy shows up and says, I'm a true prophet of God, and he works a miracle to prove it, but his message is inconsistent with previous revelation, then reject him. He's not speaking for God. Why? Because the same spirit is not going to contradict himself, the spirit who gave the prophecy. So, the message of a true prophet is to be compared to the Scripture, and if, it's, if it matches previous revelation, then there's another point of evaluation that, that fits. This is true in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14, 29, speaking now of New Testament prophets. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. Judgment on what? Not how well he spoke, but the content of what he said does it match what God has already said? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 
Verse 20 and following, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good, that which agrees to what God has already revealed, and abstain from every form of evil. In fact, the temporary miraculous gift of the discerning of spirits in 1 Corinthians 12 was an ability to pass immediate judgment on the validity of prophecy that was given in the church. That's why it's connected to the gift of prophecy there in 1 Corinthians 12. So understand then that these two views of prophecy simply don't stand up to the Scripture. So let's look at the third view of the gift of prophecy. The third view is in the New Testament era, the gift of prophecy included revelation, but today it is exclusively the capacity to teach the biblical revelation in the Scripture. There are many non-charismatics who hold this view. This view argues that in the New Testament, the word prophecy is really used in two ways. First of all, it's used of the apostles and others in the New Testament era who had the miraculous ability to receive and to speak divine revelation. And then secondarily, this word prophecy is used, I would argue, of those now who have the gift to teach and preach the divine revelation that's already been received through the apostles and the New Testament prophets. Here's how one defender of this view puts it. Quote, the meaning of prophecy, that is, is simply that of speaking forth or proclaiming publicly. Since the completion of Scripture, prophecy has not been a means of new revelation, but is limited to proclaiming what has already been revealed in the written word. Now, this is the position of many sound biblical expositors, and I need to admit to you that it very well could be what Paul is saying here. But I join in holding to a fourth view, along with most of those I have read, and that is that prophecy is this, true biblical prophecy in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here's the fourth view. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, true biblical prophecy is always revelation directly from God. Whenever you encounter the word prophecy or prophet, that's what we're talking about. Now understand that the Greek word for prophet and prophecy is actually not a translation, but it is a transliteration. In other words, the English word comes from the Greek word. The Greek word is prophetes comes from two Greek words, pro, which means before, and phemi, which means to speak. So a prophet is one who stands in front of someone and speaks for him. This concept of prophetes occurs 144 times in the New Testament. 123 times it refers to the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah. 21 times it refers to New Testament prophets, those who ministered during the New Testament era. So what exactly does it mean to stand in front of someone and speak for him? Well, I don't think there's a better illustration of it than the very, uh, not the first time the Hebrew word occurs in the Old Testament. That would be in Genesis of Abraham. He's called a prophet. The second time the word prophet occurs, it occurs in Exodus chapter 7. And in Exodus chapter 7, 
God is equipping Moses to go to Egypt. You remember back in chapter four, Moses said, God, you know, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. I need somebody to speak for me. God says, fine, I'm going to send Aaron. And in chapter four, God says, you'll be like God to Aaron, and Aaron will be like your prophet. When you come to Exodus 7, verse 1, God reiterates that, and he essentially says this, you tell Aaron what to say. You put your words in his mouth, and you'll be like God in this case, and he'll be like your prophet. Now, what I want you to see is this. A prophet is one who is God's messenger. For Aaron to be Moses' prophet, he had to speak only the words that Moses gave him to speak. That's why you have references like this one in Jeremiah 1.9. God says to the prophet Jeremiah, I have put my words in your mouth. That's what it means to be a prophet. Or you have Acts chapter 3, verse 21, God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. You have Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God spoke through the prophets. So a prophet is one who spoke a message directly from God. He was merely a mouth for God's words. Prophecy then, listen carefully, prophecy, Old and New Testament, is revelation directly from God. It is not explaining existing revelation. A prophet brings new divine revelation. As we defined it last week, the New Testament gift of prophecy then was an ability to be a channel of direct revelation from God, primarily in local churches. And of course, this was absolutely crucial until the completion of the New Testament. Apostles were a source of revelation, but their ministry tended to be church-wide, the church at large. Prophets were typically assigned to local churches, as in Acts 13, there were prophets in the church in Antioch. But the key Listen carefully, the key and primary characteristic of prophecy, it is always new revelation. So that invites the key question, are there still prophets today? Is the prophetic gift that was operative in the early days of the New Testament church still a spiritual gift available to Christians in the church today? And the answer is no, it is not. The New Testament is clear that it was, like the gift of apostle, a foundational gift. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, as Paul talks about this new entity that God has created, uh, verse 14 of, verse, uh, of chapter 2 of Ephesians, he has brought both groups into one. Verse 15, he has made the two, Jews and Gentiles, into one new man. That's the church. And then he goes on in verses 19 and following to talk about the church. And he calls us fellow citizens with the saints. He calls us God's household. And then notice how he refers to the church in verse 20. The church, and notice the verb tense here, having been built. It's something that's already happened, and it has continuing results on the foundation of what? The apostles and the prophets. That is, the New Testament apostles and their teaching, and the New Testament prophets and their teaching. The church is built on the foundation of truth revealed from God through them. Now, who are these prophets? Well, because of the importance of it, some charismatics try to argue here that 
that it's talking about the Old Testament prophets. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the Old Testament prophets. Why would they say that? Because that allows them to make the New Testament prophets that second category, that second tier. It doesn't have to be equal to Scripture. But that can't be what Paul means here. Here in Ephesians, Paul has to be referring to New Testament prophets. Because look down a few verses later in chapter 3, verse 5. He says, I'm teaching the mystery of Christ, into verse 5, which has now, notice the word now, been revealed to his holy apostles and whom? Prophets. Now revealed, not Old Testament revealed. So he's talking about New Testament prophets. Other charismatics reword Ephesians 2.20 to say, having been built on the foundation of the apostles, which are the prophets. But again, the context is clear that we're talking about two separate groups. Chapter 4, verse 11, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets. Two groups. So, what is Paul teaching here in Ephesians 2.20? Let me summarize it this way. The new revelation in the New Testament era that came through the apostles and through the New Testament prophets has become the foundation of the church. His point is that the foundation of the church was being completed in the first century, and now the superstructure is being erected on that already completed foundation. Once the revelation God gave through the apostles and the New Testament prophets was complete, their work was completed, their role was done. I mean, clearly that's true of the apostles, right? They no longer exist. And here in Ephesians 2, Paul says the role of the New Testament prophets was foundational and is complete as well. Once the New Testament was completed, brothers and sisters, there was no more need for apostles or prophets. God has provided his complete revelation in a book, the book you hold in your hand. We don't need new prophets. We don't need new revelation. It's all right here for us to understand. You hold in your hands the complete revelation of God, all the revelation you need. So that's the gift of prophecy. New revelation directly from God given to God's people, no longer in place for the church today, only for the New Testament era. Now go back to Romans chapter 12 and notice verse 6. He writes to those in the Roman churches who had this New Testament era gift, this miraculous gift. He says, if you have the gift of prophecy in the church there in Rome, then use it or exercise it according to the proportion of your faith. Literally, the Greek text says, according to the analogy of the faith, or according to the analogia of the faith. There are two ways to interpret this expression. It could mean, make sure your prophecy agrees with the rest of Scripture. In fact, if you're familiar with the the principle of hermeneutics or interpretation called the analogy of faith. That simply means when you go to interpret a passage, make sure your interpretation is consistent with the rest of the teaching of Scripture. That expression, the analogy of faith, comes from this verse. Many scholars think that Paul is here insisting that the prophets measure what they say against the rest of Scripture. And of course, that's true. That was required of them. It's required of teachers today. But there's another way to interpret this expression that I think may be more likely, and that is Paul is simply saying, 
limit your prophecy to only what God has communicated to you. With this view, that word analogy or analogia has its normal mathematical sense, and it means, as our translators have translated it, in proportion. In proportion not to the faith, but in proportion to your faith. That is, only say, this is what God said, if that's what God revealed to you in this miraculous gift of revelation. Regardless of which of those two views of that phrase you take, this was to limit New Testament era prophecy. It was to limit it to only what God had revealed to the prophet and only what agreed with what God had already revealed to others before him. Now, you might be tempted to say, Tom, okay, great, but why are we spending so long on a gift that's not available to us today? Let me bring out two implications that make this important. They complement each other. The first is this. There are no more prophets. There is no more prophecy. Get that in your head. There are no more prophets. There is no more prophecy. There is no prophecy equal to Scripture with the same inspiration and authorities as Scripture. And there is no continuing revelation at some sort of a second tier where God is saying to people for them to say, well, I think this might be what God is saying. That's not the New Testament gift. Second implication, and this one is the big one for most of us. In the copy of the Scriptures you hold in your hand, you have God's complete, final, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient revelation. You don't need anything else. Don't be looking for some experience. Don't be looking for some new word from God. You've got God's final word to us. Here is everything you need to know in order to be saved. Isn't that what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15? You have the Scripture which is enabled to give you the wisdom which leads to salvation. Here's how you know how to be right with God. And he goes on to say, this inspired Scripture is sufficient to make you adequate for every good work. It's able not only to tell you how to be saved, how to be right with God, but also to tell you how to live, how to grow in your likeness to Jesus Christ. Don't look for anything else. This is what you need. That's the point. In fact, it's far better than something else. Go to 2 Peter. I'll end here, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and notice verse 16. Peter writes, we did not follow, that is the, the apostles did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw him. And then he references in verses 17 and 18 a specific event, the transfiguration. Peter says, listen, I was there. I saw Jesus glorified. I heard the Father speak from heaven and say, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. But, verse 19, we have the prophetic word more certain. That's what he says. He says, listen, if, if you had to choose between being one of the apostles and being on the Mount of Transfiguration and having that amazing experience of seeing the glory of Christ and of, and of hearing God speak from heaven, 
Or you could have the finished revelation you hold in your hands. It's not even a choice. We have the prophetic word more certain, more sure. And then he says, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, just keep on clinging to the Scripture. Know this first of all, that no prophecy that's in Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, that is, of one's own origination. It didn't come up from some private idea. Rather, verse 21, the prophecy that's here in the Scripture, it was never made by an act of human will. But it only came as men, and here's a great definition of prophecy, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's what you hold in your hand, and that's all you need. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of a series titled Gifted to Serve. Join us again next time for part five. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.